Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hi, everybody. I want to ask you a question. I'm pretty sure I know the answer, and it's got to be yes, right? I mean, have you ever bought a single share of stock? I mean, you've got a 401k or a pension, just a couple of shares. How about that? Well, if so, then you're what's called a retail or individual investor, a so-called little guy. In the past, Wall Street basically ignored you and all the other retail investors out there because, well, they knew the secret handshake and you didn't. They had scale. They had knowledge. They had the power to move markets in whatever way they chose until the apes came along. If you haven't heard by now, ape is the moniker of a crowd of individual investors who met up in a Reddit chat room over the past year and have given themselves this name, the apes. And you guys, they accomplished something I have never before seen in my 23 years of covering the stock market. They beat the big boys on Wall Street. The chat room, Wall Street bets, where they decided they were going to band together to save companies whose stocks were battered and about to go down because a certain breed of Wall Street trader, the short seller, was betting against them. This past January, this merry band of apes managed to foil the short sellers and save the video game chain GameStop and the embattled theater chain AMC. They piled in, and in the case of GameStop, for example— pushed the stock higher by 2,700% over a matter of weeks, and that sent the short sellers scurrying. So how did a bunch of underdogs know to come together to move mountains and crush those behemoths on Wall Street? I am thrilled to introduce you to Jamie Rogozinski, the guy who nine years ago founded the Wall Street Bets chat room and in doing so shifted the entire investment world paradigm. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Really looking forward to this. I mean, when I say that, does it surprise you? Does it? Do you sometimes just scratch your head and say, wait, this all began from the chat room? Yeah, you know, I, I, I'm not exactly sure how I react. I don't know if like I've built this kind of uh, uh, alternate mindset when when I'm having these conversations or, <laughs> or or watching these conversations take place. And it's like, yeah, this this definitely started from really a hobby and just kind of these ideas. And I had my strong ideas, but not with this kind of conviction. And so when, you know, it's, it's it'll be occasionally that, that I'm reading like the SEC, <laughs> you know, the report on, on games and they're making obvious reference to these things or, or when you have the, uh, I don't know, the White House being asked about this. That's when I have to stop and, and say, okay, this is, this is a thing now. Oh, <laughs> so this is really more cool. than a thing. This is a force. But I don't think a lot of people understand how it all began and when it all began. You know, they just started hearing about the apes and the meme stocks and the meme chat groups, et cetera, et cetera. Recently, you started this thing back in 2012. What gave you the idea? Yeah, I mean, this it was a good description you had uh, when you're talking about this kind of slow boil. It just explodes because that slow boil really started 
even before I started Wall Street Bets, right? We had this kind of uh, catalyst that you get to see the culmination of a lot of factors kind of coming in at the right time at the right place. And it starts, I would say, the 2008 financial crisis, you know, myself included being affected by this. I'd lost my job. Uh, as a direct result of this uh, this issue that was a worldwide problem caused by the banks and all these things that's been talked about ad nauseum. And, uh, you know, and then I started kind of recovering, but a lot of people were in that same kind of a, a situation. Kids are graduating from college and very low prospects for getting a job and then big debts to pay off for those loans. So then I get my job, I finally get a job and it's a really well paying job. And I'm at a point in my life where I could take chances. And so I'm like, all right, I'm going to take some of my extra money. I'm going to risk it. And I'm going to risk it in a way that's fun. And then in a way that I can hopefully become very rich and then not have to have a job anymore. And, you know, that's in in order to be able to pull that off, you have to risk a lot. And so I couldn't find any place or any people that wanted to talk about stocks in that same way. Uh, or we're hoping to to get there because all the all the other places that exist, they're like, all right, invest this in this diversified low commission index funds, and you know you'll compound interest and dividends and these things that we're never going to get me where I want to get to. You can't be Warren Buffett by uh, you know by putting in a few hundred bucks a month, but you can sometimes get lucky with the others. So I created this thing, and to my surprise, there was a lot of people that were in that same sh- in that same boat, right? So that's that's where it kind of started, mm-hmm. and it started taking on. A life of its own. Prior to what we saw with GameStop, we'd seen other really high-profile things that had happened on Wall Street bets, and they lots of them did make the news. But they were like Bloomberg, or they were you know the the Market Watch, or just very mm-hmm. specific market. And they would talk about the the, the or sorry, what you'd see is these exploitations where these individual retail traders or meme stock traders could find inefficiencies that they could exploit to their own benefit. And and very, very clever people, very creative, very hungry for risk, not afraid of losing money. And and they were doing really incredible things and oftentimes breaking stuff. And then what we saw in, with GameStop was kind of like the ultimate uh, presentation of this. You know, this is retail. We do have uh, an edge. We do have a say in this. We do get to, to, to have a seat and participate in this, in these markets. And I think that there was an inkling of that 2008 kind of a uh, uh, lingering uh, pent up feelings that mm. were never really resolved. And I think, I think you got to see that with GameStop. Well, what was the first stock? You just said that you started to see certain things, certain inefficiencies that the retail investors in your Wall Street Pets Reddit room began to capitalize upon. What was the first example of that? So it's highly technical, but it's probably my favorite one ever. Okay. Even it's, it's it's even better than the GameStop, in my opinion. Although GameStop is really good too. So this individual, and so I'll apologize if this is too technical. I'll try my best to to simplify it. But okay, wait. So Jamie, talk to me like I'm a 12 year old. Okay, <laughs> I can do that. Okay, explain. I can it. do that, but 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 there's going to be par- parts that that will okay. purposely go over the head of a 12 year old because okay. it also shows a sophistication, right? Mm-hmm. These sure. apes, these self proclaimed degenerates, these kind of you know the, this mentality that these people don't know what they're doing and the 
and the other serious investment bankers do, like it really gets put on his head. So here's the example. This, okay. this guy goes out and probably takes a class in finance and he learns about stock options and in stock options. He learns about different strategies. You can do really sophisticated things with them more than just bet that the price is going to go up or down. Correct. So this guy learned about a thing called box spreads and I won't get into how they work other than the fact that they don't care if the price of the stock that these options represent goes up or down. It's called delta neutral, and uh, and it's it's a risk free strategy. And basically, you're buying and selling puts and calls and doing these crazy things. And eventually, mathematically speaking, it does not lose money. Huh. It guarantees you profit because if the price goes up, then then it, it gets counterbalanced with these other uh, legs of this trade. So in this finance class, this guy probably asked his teacher, hey, why does nobody do these if they're risk-free money? And the teacher goes, well, that's easy because these commissions, if you have to buy and sell uh calls and puts, they eat up your little profit, your risk-free profits. So Robinhood had just kind of announced that they were doing stock options. So he goes, oh, free money on the table. Cool. I'm going to put these things to work. So he he starts, he, he, he does a box spread on a leveraged volatility ETN, right? Like okay. and that's where it gets tricky. It's like okay. a really convoluted math formula that he chooses to be his stock. And which is by nature extremely volatile, and then it's leveraged, so it's twice as volatile. And, and he does this trade, and he realizes after he did the, the box trade that Robinhood hadn't collateralized the credit side of these things. In other words, he had the same amount of buying power after he did, you know, and it opened That's his right. position. Sure, sure. As as when he as he started, so he's like, I can do this again, and so he opened a second position with that same collateral, not with not without depositing more, and he did it again and again and again and again, and he did it literally until the market closed that day, right? And he goes, Hey guys, I just took out a three hundred thousand dollar position on a five thousand dollar deposit or ten thousand, <laughs> and and it's risk free. Right. It's and he puts free. this in the Wall Street bets room. Oh, yeah. He puts it in there and people are like, dude, you're crazy. You don't know what you're doing. And he goes, oh, this is trust me. The textbook, it's perfectly you don't understand what you're doing. In fact, I'm only upset because the market closed because I would have kept doing this all day long. <laughs> so I, as as would luck have you. So th- this was a sophisticated thing that, that this guy figured out. And then people chiming in. Turns out that things that happen in textbooks don't necessarily happen in real life, right? So it's just the the basic assumption of how the counterparty on these stock options is going to behave. Essentially, other people can tinker with your trade because you owe people stuff and they owe you stuff. And you're you're assuming everyone's going to stay put for the duration of the trade. Uh, the next day, there was some volatility, whatever it was, you know, the, his counterparty started exercising or assigning options and the whole thing fell apart and he lost like negative $70,000 in his account. <laughs> but that was the, but, so that was really cool because it's just so many elements that, that are interesting from the, the, the fact that it picked these VIX volatility things. But all that was a predecessor to what later become slightly more famous, which was the infinite margin glitch, which was kind of a, a it was a variation on that take, but a similar concept where they put small amount of money and then they would get leverage up to a million dollars. But this million dollars, instead of just being able to continue going towards the same trade, could then be used for a different trade. So you put $5,000 in your account, you click a bunch of buttons, and now you have a million dollars worth of buying power, which you can then use to to YOLO, right, to really risk on some very risky all or nothing trade. 
And at that point, people are sitting there going, well, you, the banks were too big to fail in 2008. I'm too small to collect from. So mm. let's have at it. Right. Okay. And, and now you, now the tables have turned. This is an inefficiency that they've very correctly identified as I can now outsource my risk. I can, you know, this is a, a asymmetric risk where they're the ones on the hook because they'll never get a million dollars from me. Uh, I might as well take my shot. And, and that's, that's philosophically powerful. Right. And, and and what's crazy about Wall Street Bets is everyone's having fun in the process, making memes, and they're joking about these things and these videos, and they're and they're entertaining. But people are learning around the, along the way. They're like, "What is a covered call, and what does margin mean?" There and, was sharing of information, and yeah, it was learning. generous. And and you guys started to get the attention of Wall Street because you began beating them at what had been their game and their landscape and their party. That's exactly right. In fact, shortly after that happened, I was reading this other book on the financial crisis, and and I was reading this chapter about how the banks and I don't remember all the technical words for it, but they had this like reverse repo or reverse buyback maneuver, which was in very sophisticated finance uh, nomenclature, mm -hmm. the exact same maneuver. They were basically recycling collateral. They were lending money to a bank and then getting collateral and returning, using that collateral to then lend again. And they would do that over and over, where at the end of the day, there was only one unit of collateral, but a bazillion different counterparties that were that were using it to uh, to represent it. So, so these maneuvers had already been done. Now you're just doing it on Robinhood and then you're having confetti, you're having fun, you're having uh, memes, you're having very sophisticated maneuvers, but the veil of sophistication has been lifted as far as uh -huh. we can do it too. Jamie, take me back to 10-year-old Jamie. Where'd you grow up and were you always interested in finance? I don't want our listeners to be intimidated and think, uh, I could never figure this out. No. So I, I was actually, I was born in Mexico and I lived here until I was like 12 or 13. And then I lived in the US the rest of my adult life. I've just recently moved back here. Um, but I, I went to high school and college and all my professional trajectory was done in the US. And I was really into the tech and econ. I studied economics as well as computer engineering. And I just loved the you know, programming and things of that nature. Mm -hmm. And I've always been an entrepreneur. So out of college, I started this tech business with a, a handful of really smart partners scattered around the world. And, to, you know, it was a successful startup. We, it was just the five of us at first. And by the time, by two years later, we had grown it to like 200 employees, to very sustainable revenue, blah, blah, blah. And we ended up selling this thing for what I thought was millions of dollars. And I'm like 25-ish at the time. So I'm like, cool, I've done this. I've conquered the world. I'm a millionaire and I'm in my 20s. This is perfect, right? Uh, and uh, luck would have it, or just, I guess lack of knowledge would have it. I had sold it through like these sophisticated stock warrants, which are like stock options in the private mm -hmm. equity. And, you know, and I just, it was all paper and oh. it was not usable millions. And those millions just decayed into nothing. Oh. And so it turns out I was not a millionaire. So I had to kind of start all over again. I'm like, all right, well, lesson learned, I guess. Let's try this again. And this time I'll be smarter about it. But now I need to clearly add finance to my repertoire. So I started studying finance. I started, I got a job in the financial services industry doing, applying a lot of my tech and uh, background into it and uh, eventually working at a large, the Inter-American Development Bank, which is like, kind of like the World Bank, 
but it's quasi-governmental. And I was helping with their risk, <laughs> believe it or not. I was in charge of their risk. <laughs> Lord, help us all. Well, this to me is fascinating because all the while you're continuing to dip into your Wall Street Bets Reddit room that you founded. Yeah. And then it takes on this life. Tell me what happened, how this ramped up during the pandemic. Certainly locking people at home and taking away their sources of entertainment and in many cases income uh, was a perfect storm for for people to go to the one thing that continues to be open, the stock market. Obviously, with the words like Wall Street bets, I'm already insinuating that there is this high risk uh, gambling Esque feel. It's it, it can be gambling if you want it to be, but it can also be more strategic, like playing poker, where where yeah, it's gamble, but you can actually win, uh, as opposed to like the casino games that are pre mathematically mm-hmm. predetermined to, to get you to lose. So you know, people people took a, a heavy interest. In fact, very early into the pandemic, I uh, assumed correctly that Dave Portnoy who's the owner of Bar- Barstool Sports, sure. would have nothing to do with his gambling empire because sports are canceled. So sure enough, he turned to trading as well, and he t- put his spin on it, which was incredibly entertaining and empowering, I should say. Uh, and there was just a, t- a ton of little catalysts. There's a ton of little uh, uh, events that facilitated or encouraged people. The stimulus checks, like you referenced, mm-hmm. Uh, was another part of it. And um, the availability, the ease of access. Look, the, the stuff, when I first bought my first stock in 2006 or seven, it was like Google when they IPO'd and I had to go through my bank and pay $30 to buy and $30 to sell. And mm. I only had $1,000. I could buy three shares and lose 6% immediately from the commissions. And so now it's free, it's fractional, so you can just buy little bits of pieces of stocks if you can't afford the full thing. Yeah, yeah. It's slices, instant. slices. Yeah, and the, the, the availability is, is there. So just the perfect storm kind of culminating together. This is Everyone Talks to Liz, and we'll be right back. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listen Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Clayman. Just go to Indeed.com slash Clayman right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Clayman. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Let's not understate the power of that we saw exhibited within that Wall Street Bets chat room because in January of 2021, suddenly these guys, these participants in this chat room notice and decide to focus on the fact that there are stocks out there where big Wall Street firms were looking at them almost like shark circling blood. There were companies, AMC, theaters, GameStop, which had been dismal performers during the pandemic because they were shut down. You couldn't go see a movie and they were struggling. 
to the point where these big hedge funds looked and said, ooh, if I bet against these, short them, I can make a ton of money, especially if they go down. Now, short sellers, I would argue, definitely have a role in a free market system, but it just doesn't pass the smell test if you're sitting there cheering that a company where there are a lot of employees and people are, you know, you're cheering that it'll explode and then implode and then end up in a little pile of ashes. That's what they were doing until the Wall Street bets crowd decided to foil them. And folks, that's where this gets historic. They banded together total strangers from the Wall Street bets room, swirled around GameStop in particular because of one of the members of this chat room called Roaring Kitty, a.k.a. Deep Effing Value, a.k.a. a guy named Keith Gill. Have you ever met him, Jamie? No, no, I've, I've not met him. Um, and uh, I probably would like to at some point. He's definitely a very important person in this particular moment, obviously historic moment. Tell our listeners there. why, what he did. So Keith Gill, Keith, Keith Gill was kind of the face of this moment. So Wall Street Bets as a whole is not directed by any leadership. It doesn't have this governance structure. It's it's literally community members that come together and share their ideas and popular ideas get more visibility. So this was just another member of Wall Street Bets, just like the other stories that I mentioned earlier were different individuals. This guy goes out and takes this trade. He does this more, he's more fundamental. He's less YOLO-y, but, but, but still really does appreciate risk because he took on an extremely risky trade with an extremely large amount of money. He takes like $50,000 uh, even a year before this whole thing played out. Mm-hmm. And he said, based off of a lot of analysis, that GameStop is going to turn around. Yes, they got battered down, but but I have faith in them for all these different reasons. And throughout the year, he's making money and then he's losing money and people are calling him dumb for for opening the position. And then after he starts making a few hundred thousand, they're calling him dumb for not closing out the position and taking the profits. And he starts this, nope, nope, nope. I'm holding on to this, the diamond hands, this, this idea that I'm not letting go, that it's really strong in the face of adversity. And then you start getting these little inklings, these pushes to start helping out, which was, there were changes to the, uh, to the board and some pretty large positions taken by some popular individuals starts picking up a little momentum. And then you have the individuals that say, Hey guys, did you see that this thing is hundred over hundred percent short float? And, and I agree with you. Short sellers do serve a productive purpose. They do dampen bubbles. They do help the price discovery uh, process. Hey, they but, reveal some really dirty, ugly things about companies that are ripping uh, people off. David, David Einhorn is like a legend for these things. And Enron, all, you know, the people who exposed Enron. Of course. Yeah. And, and that's important. So so they're not necessarily bad. But when you see that it's almost uh, predatory, where it's, yeah, I'm going to ha 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 laugh at mm-hmm. your demise and profit, mm-hmm. then it, it does smell bad. And now you're talking about a stock that, that these individuals, these younger people can relate to like, dude, I grew up going to the store. I remember my first whatever game console and, 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 and all of a sudden you start having this, this alternate valuation model, which is like, yeah, they'll probably go out of business, but I don't want them to. Right. So, so, so now they're, they're giving them a mulligan. They're helping them out. They did that with, with, you know, other companies as well. 
AMC and they actually got their mulligan because they they sold new shoes, like you know, did a new issue and they they sold they got enough money. Now they're getting into this whole metaverse thing that Facebook is, you know, that they're using, they're taking advantage of this moment where people said, We believe in you, you like the movie theaters, keep the jobs, keep the business. And I don't care what these discounted cash flow analysis have to say. I like you as a company. And so this is this breaks existing valuation models. I don't care if you're a technical trader or a fundamental analyst, you know, if you do mark the markets and all these things, these people are saying, yeah, 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 that's fine. But, and then they vote with their money. And so all of a sudden, Keith Gill, going back to him, uh, he starts becoming kind of this folklore hero because he's held on for so long. And now his position is worth a couple million dollars. So he's made it, he's made it and he's not selling this thing. And then you start getting the feelings of, resentment with the Occupy movement. Like, yeah, the banks were the ones that screwed around. Now we're going to finally show you what, what this is like. And they skyrocketed the price from maybe around 20 bucks when $20, maybe December, January. And at, at its highest point, it was, um, I think it was like in the after hours, it went over $500 a share. And that effectively squeezed out all of the shorts. They made them lose billions of dollars. Keith Gill walked away with, I think at his highest point, he had like $50 million and mm. then he held on and started c- cashing out a little bit, but but still kept a very strong position. In fact, last I checked, which was a couple, few months ago, he still had his really big position, but I'm guessing he walked away with maybe $30 million. So he's absolutely a, a person that is central to this chapter of retail traders. Well, he is the underdog hero for sure. But I think that one of the most important things from this story certainly is that not only did they find strength in numbers, you know, they talk about how a bunch of strangers can come together and lift a bus off a child, but an individual couldn't do it on their own. That's exactly what happened here. I'm not trying to make a ridiculous analogy about saving lives or anything, Mm -hmm. but that's exactly what happened here. Uh, The safety and the strength in numbers overpowered Wall Street. But not only that, folks, AMC Theaters has not only survived because it went down to single digits and then also experienced the same spike and renaissance in its stock price because of the Wall Street Bets Group. But you guys actually changed the way certain CEOs recognize retail shareholders. I can tell you, for as long as I've been covering Wall Street, all these guys, well, the only people they want to meet with, oh, the institutions, you know, the vanguards and the, the fidelities and, oh, we have to talk to our big institutional investors. Adam Aaron, the CEO of AMC, has now opened a communication chain and a pipeline with you guys, with their shareholders out there, he cares more about the individual than he does now about the institution. At least he says he does. And I find that fascinating. It, it, I mean, talk about breaking by fixing it. Uh, sorry, fixing by breaking something here. You know, let's remember what the stock market is. Let's do a little bit of history and say these are capital markets meant to raise capital for businesses to grow and reinvest. And and the the mechanics behind buying shares, you're buying a portion of this company, and companies are uh, accountable, held accountable to these shareholders, which come with voter rights, and sometimes they come with dividends. I guess depends on how they're structured. But the idea is, I own the way that the stock market is it's explained to to five year olds or to children. It's you own a little piece of that big company, 
And now this looks like that, right? And now it's unrecognizable, but it's, yeah, this, this CEO now wants to talk to the owners of the company, right? Their true boss is the shareholders and he's reflecting that. And the, and, and the AMC also used this capital market to raise capital, right? As opposed to what we see frequently, which is just, hey, let's pay back our early investors. And it's kind of a cash out moment for businesses that are already up and running uh, for, for traditional IPOs. Right. We're getting some weird things with SPACs and stuff now. But the, the, the what we saw with GameStop, it's now we're back to where we started. And it's the most productive use of right. financial markets for, for humanity, for people around the world. Like that is that is a very inspiring story. You should be smiling. I feel like I can hear you smiling as you speak. Jamie, as we finish up, what's next for you? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I like to have a lot of fun. I, I come off as serious because I do get really into this thing from an intellectual standpoint, but I'm, I'm going to have a ton of fun. Like we're, we're, I'm starting to delve into the crypto world. I'm realizing that there's a lot of untapped power there. I'm not talking about coins. I'm talking about the this parallel ecosystem. Mm-hmm. So to showcase that, the first thing that I'm going to do is I'm releasing this. Uh, it's called a Nancy ETF. It's basically a, a basket of stocks that mimics probably the greatest investors of our modern era, Nancy Pelosi and her husband. And <laughs> to pull that off, you have to, and, and this will be available on, on on exchanges, public exchanges. You can get on Robinhood or Nasdaq, whatever. Oh my! When People are you launching that? You have yeah. to come on the show and do that. Oh, I'd love to. Um, but it, it, so they buy this 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 thing, and it j- makes a jump into the uh, to the blockchain world. Does a bunch of magic stuff, mm-hmm. mimics her portfolio real time, and then it, and then it uh, uh, circles back around by buying the stocks to collateralize it properly and make sure that it's properly regulated and all these things. Like we're doing this by the book, but but the only way to pull that off is by getting a helping hand of blockchain. And so that's going to be a great showcase of that. It's almost going to be like an ETF that's powered by the blockchain and it's fun. And it's, you know, it's pro- it's hopefully going to make people money because the tracker, she's look, she's got 104% year over year with 12% drawdown. That's pretty um, impressive. So why not? You're cracking do it, me so up. Let's do it. You, you loco, you're crazy. Oh, my I God. Have fun. <laughs> Listen, life is short. Go for it. I am honored to have you on Everyone Talks to Liz. What a story. Jamie Rogozinski, the founder of the Wall Street Bets Reddit chat room. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you very much. This was great. You guys have to hear in his voice what an experience he's having. Look, and he had that one situation where he misstepped. He sold a company he had built. He didn't quite understand how he was selling it and what kind of compensation, and he lost all what he thought he had. But instead of just curling up in a ball, he says, okay, let me educate myself and start anew. And from that sprouts this crazy 12-headed hydra called the Wall Street Bets Reddit Room, of which I think has been an epic historic moment in investor history. Thank you so much for tuning in. I'll see you Monday through Friday, 3 p.m. Eastern on The Claimant Countdown. It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox.